we choose to greet impossible with the words that Muhammad Ali said, that impossible is just a big word thrown around by small-minded men who find it easier to live in a world that they've been given than the power that they have to change it. That impossible is nothing. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is a dare. Hello and welcome to the Black Solicitors One-to-One podcast. My name's Chris Allen. I'm the managing partner of Black Solicitors. I've worked in Leeds now for nearly, wait for it, 30 years. Uh, and during that time, I've met lots of interesting people from different walks of life. Some of those relating to sport or business or various other things. Um, but my guest today is uh, a, a bit of a, a change from the norm for us. Um, Tim is here. Tim Nelson is here. He's the chief exec of Hope for Justice. Uh, and this is a charity... Uh, that is looking to change lives. It's, it's a charity that's looking to end slavery um, by preventing exploitation, rescuing victims, restoring lives and reforming society. And I met Tim on a train uh, coming into Leeds one morning and, and to be honest with you, I was knocked, not for six, uh, by what this charity is doing for people. And I was also not for six by the fact that modern slavery exist to the extent that Tim explained to me. So uh, whilst this is slightly a, a heavier, heavier topic to some degree than we normally talk about on this podcast, I think it's massively important that we, we talk to Tim and we help spread awareness of the challenges uh, that Tim and his team are facing. And perhaps even more importantly, what can I, what can you as a listener, as a member of the business uh, community of Yorkshire, what can you do to help on this front? So um, so on that front, uh, we'll start. Tim, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. So lovely to be here. All right. So I've just read out sort of the punchline from the opening page of your website, hopeforjustice.org. I hope anybody listening goes and has a good look at that, Tim. I think I've got a perception in my mind of what modern slavery is, but just, just explain it to us. What is modern slavery? Yeah, so modern slavery, as it's known across the world, is broken into five core areas. We have sexual exploitation. That's the area that most people are commonly would uh, associate it with. Um, domestic servitude, where individuals who are held against their will in homes. Labor exploitation, people who are forced to work in business settings and agricultural settings. Um, forced marriage, those people who are forced into marriage against their will. And also organ harvesting, where individuals are moved for the use of their organs across the board. Those are the five core areas, but it's defined effectively by the Palermo Protocol, which was established in 2000, to go through what is the act, the means and the purpose of what modern day slavery is. So, so I listened to that, Tim, and my uh, probably uh, closeted uh, world says, ooh, that sounds terrible, that must happen abroad a lot. What about the UK? Where, where are we on that at the moment? Yeah, so globally the, the estimates are by the ILO, the International Labour Organisation, would estimate there are 49.6 million people held enslaved globally. Um, like you have said, most people have that conjured up to Southeast Asia as being the area where maybe there's a lot of going on and a lot of issues. But the reality is it's hidden in plain sight in our everyday world. So the est- last year, um, we have a national referral mechanism in this country for anybody who is a suspected victim of modern day slavery will be brought into that referral mechanism. And last year, there were nearly 17,000 individuals in the UK alone that were entered into that national referral mechanism so those are individuals in 
in, in streets where you live, in, in locations close to where you may work, um, where we find individuals who are held against their will and forced into all manner of abuses. I think, I think when I hear that, one of the things that sort of uh, makes me stop in my tracks is in this day and age of the internet and access and mobile phones and the ability to communicate with people, there's a bit of me that thinks, how is it these people are able to flag up that they're in distress? Uh, what, what stops the, 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 I say the average person, what stops somebody from, from shouting and saying, look, I'm... I'm in these circumstances. Yeah, a lot of the time you've got individuals who uh, have a pre-existing condition. It could be a mental health issue. It could be something that is a, a reason why they don't feel they can come forward. Sometimes people are fearful of the police. They may come from a, a place or a location where the police might be corrupt or the, the country they're from might be outside of the rule of law. But in a lot of times, it's because people are uh, manipulated, coerced, beaten against their will. They're forced to do this type of work and, and the fear that they have is real. You know, we've, we've met individuals who've gone through such horrendous things that individuals themselves would have said and done against them that they wouldn't dare tell anybody about this issue for fear of their lives or fear of a loved one's life that may actually be threatened as a direct result of them coming forward. And so this isn't just some somebody making money out of this. This is somebody truly using all those tactics and, and those, you know, incredibly intimidating methods to get people to do what they want them to do. Absolutely. So if, if you think we started in West Yorkshire and when we started in our first year, we rescued 110 individuals from modern day slavery. The youngest victim was just three months old that had been trafficked for sexual exploitation in this area. Wow. As part of that, we uncovered a bed manufacturer called Cozy Sleep. And this case came to the fore because they were uh, making beds for John Lewis and Next in their primary supply chain, two retailers that would have prided themselves on their supply chain due diligence. But there were 33 Hungarian nationals that were brought into this bed manufacturer and beaten within an inch of their lives. In fact, the, the trafficker, Janos, who went to prison for this, um, would bring groups of six in and hang one of them in front of the other five. And and when that person is writhing about to choke to death, they would be cut down. And he would say, look, if any one of you leave, I'll just kill the others. And, you know, and, that's and, as and, simple and, as it and comes immediately out. these people then aren't leaving, are they? No, and the, know, threat, not, are you? the threat is if you leave, then other people are going to be implicated by you leaving. And yeah. that, for, that level of abuse is sadly too common. Well, I think I'm right in saying that that was 15 years ago. That that that. So 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 you've been at that for 15 years. Yeah, we started the organisation. Um, we actually hired. It's not what most charities do. We we hired the NEC to try and tell people about it, and uh, we worked for a year to um, raise awareness to, about this event. And we got just short of 6,000 people to come. After that, we looked at how we could form a strategic approach to trying to address this. And when we started in West Yorkshire, we took on the former divisional commander of the police. He retired after a career in policing to set up our investigative hub and brought the best of the best in terms of investigators to do that undercover intelligence of finding people. So, yeah, we've been at this a long time, but we see the same patterns and the same issues. Um, now we just have a better, clearer understanding of what's happening, not just locally, but also on an international basis. This podcast is, needless to say, sponsored by Black Solicitors. 
Blacks is a law firm based in Leeds, and we provide a range of commercial, property and private client services to clients throughout the United Kingdom. Obviously, I'd love you to enjoy this podcast and then use our services on any legal issues you have going forward. If you visit lawblacks.com, you'll see the kind words that existing clients have had to say about the services we provide. Now, back to the podcast. I'm 15 years on. I mean, obviously, the, you're still going strong, so, so the challenge hasn't disappeared. But successes over those years, I mean, this is, this is uh, you know, emotional work. I mean, you know, it must wear everybody out eventually to some extent. Well, talk to me about some of the successes you've had over the years. Yeah, success is an interesting one. Yeah, because, is that um, the right word? Yeah, no. I would say significance rather than success. Yeah. I, I think for us, we want to see everyone set free. And that, that process of trying to see people set free, you, you would see a success as, uh, as seeing people rescued. When we started, um, I think the, the platform formerly known as Twitter, we used to tweet out to say when we had a rescue that it was time to drink champagne and dance on the tables. Mm. And we would toast a glass to the individual that was being rescued. Um, when you started seeing massive numbers of rescues, people were starting to see the amount of bottles that we had in the office with the names on them and thinking maybe we had a problem. Yeah. So we came up with this adage to say that we were starting a freedom wall. And that's a wall of padlocks that are open. And on that pad, each padlock, we write the name of the person and the year they were rescued. Yeah. You know, the scale of the amount of rescues that we're now seeing is huge. An example for you would be in 2015, we had a case where an organization that we had trained to spot the signs in the West Midlands rang us up saying they thought they had two individuals. We developed their intelligence and found a further 53 individuals. By the time that case went to court, there were over 400 individual victims. It was the largest case in European history. Panorama on the BBC did a whole expose on British slave gangs. Mm -hmm. But that started off the back of a bit of training that we did for a local NGO in that area. Yeah. And, and I think that's a success for us because it took six years, our support for 93 individual victims for every single one of those traffickers to be held to account. And isn't that, yeah. and, and from, from, from as a business owner, that, that, um, that idea that it came from some training yeah. is, inc is incredible actually, isn't it? Because so, so how, how welcoming is the business community? If you, if you went round Leeds today and knocked on 25 doors and said, I'm happy to come and do a session on modern day slavery, what, what reception do you think you're going to get? I think, I think there is a, a general consciousness now where there is some level of understanding that this does exist. I think there's still a reluctance to want to engage in the actual issue because, uh, you know, when you think about charities that you could support, there are charities that can make you feel good about yourself. Um, those individuals who, you know, you might help a child who's in a... In, 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 a kind of tough place yeah. being able to help them with the dream of going to Disney World is an amazing thing that people might want to do but I think this issue when you dig into it and you see the reality of humanity it, it, it isn't long after having a, a short conversation with people then they start to realise well if this could happen to that person's child maybe it could happen to my children mm. or it could happen to someone I know and if it was my child that was taken against their will maybe I'd do something about it oh, well, they are someone's child. Maybe we all need to do something about it. So I think for me, there is this sense of still needing more kind of uh, to go to the next stage of engagement with business, to see businesses wanting to try and 
practically play their part in addressing it within their own supply chains, but then mm. beyond that, helping and supporting a charity like Hope sure. for Justice. Sure, because, because large companies, and I'm not discounting us here or trying to say that we're not a large employer with 200 staff, but certainly large organisations that food manufacturing, drink manufacturing, with thousands of staff at various sites, it, you know, with the best will in the world of a HR team, it probably is quite hard to keep a track of. So if you were doing a, a, a presentation today then, Tim, and you were talking to a group of HR professionals working for, large, let's say, large organisations, what are the telltale signs that they should be looking for? What should people be just keeping their eye out on? Yeah, so if, if I was engaging with business and specifically HR and people are thinking specifically for their own business, I'd also want them to think beyond their own business at their supply chains and what else they might be using the business for. But if they're thinking in recruitment terms, how this happens, how individuals can be groomed into this is not necessarily simple. But the signs that you might see are when we start to look at individuals themselves and we look at how they, they react to the, the treatment they've been in, they generally look disheveled. Mm. These individuals are living in homes of multiple occupancy. They rarely have access to all of the benefits that you would, you would think they should have. The employer might be paying a fair wage into their bank account, but they might not have control of their own bank account. Someone else might do that, or if they've got a job, there could be someone who is getting in and charging them a fee against that and it could be a fee they will never pay off so they stay debt bonded to the individual trafficker themselves a lot of times people can turn up with bruises at work which are you know questionable at mm -hmm. best you might have individuals who can't look at people directly in the eye they don't want to build friendship groups they don't want to open up about where their life is they don't want to walk with people back home there's there's lots of things that you can see from a social engagement that would be a telltale sign a lot of the time, though, what we try and do with businesses is we try and come in and spot where are the vulnerabilities that you might have within your business context. Mm. So we're in a, a lovely building here, mm. but how often do people know who are the cleaners who clean your building or sure. where does your waste go and who are the people who are treating that waste across the board? Well, those, those elements that are part of the ecosystem of your business that maybe you've not ever thought about, mm. but actually... If you look into those areas, you could protect your business from any vulnerabilities that might and, exist. And, the, and it's almost ironic, isn't it? Because there is a greater focus these days on, you know, what's the, the quality of the, the air conditioning that's pumping out here, or, you know, how, how we're using fuel, etc. There's all the ESG stuff that's going on, and people are slowly but surely, I'm, I'm being honest, are, are tuning into that. Those three initials have been mentioned to me more in the last 18 months than they have been in the previous 20 years. So, it's it, you know, that that sort of path is, seems to be happening. What about, I mean, you know, I'm sat here now listening to you, Tim, and I'm thinking, well, uh, people who uh, supply labour to large employers at different times of the year, what sort of engagement have you got from those organisations? And, and in, indeed, is there a trade organisation for, for, for labour suppliers? Yeah, so what we did off the back of that major case, it was known as Operation Fort in the police, is we had um, companies that were asking us, like, how do we deal with this? We understand we've got systems, but this has happened on our watch. What can we do to try and prevent it? And a friend of mine introduced me to Accenture, and Accenture did their first piece of pro bono work for an NGO and helped us identify how we could set up an initiative called Slave Free Alliance. 
Slave Free Alliance is wholly owned by Hope for Justice. And since 2018, when we launched it, we have now 120 major multinationals on board, uh, including 14 of the FTSE 100. And we're helping them in their own business and in their supply chains, both in this country and internationally, to help root out modern day slavery. Because the question we, we have to ask is not whether they have modern day slavery or not. Most businesses do. Most businesses that we're coming between 70 to 80% of all businesses have some form of modern day slavery. Just if you use your, your mobile phone in an average day and you buy clothes from a regular retail store where you might get them from, mm-hmm. they estimate that you might have between 40 and 50 slaves having to work for you to make the goods and services that you make on an everyday basis. But for us having Slave Free Alliance, it gives us an opportunity to help to help those individual companies to root it out. And our aim is that Slave Free Alliance itself would be the largest donor to Hope for Justice globally, but it would also keep growing and make a bigger impact. So this last year, I've launched it into the US, into Norway, and Australia. And we're growing at pace to try and make a bigger difference within the business community itself. And around the world, I mean, I've got Hope for Justice sat in front of me now. Uh, Is there a Hope for Justice? Are there lots of organisations like this all trying to tackle the... Tackle, tackle these problems or and, and how much interaction do you have with those guys yeah so we we're not going to be the only organization to end this if we want to see it properly end we have to work collaboratively looking at what we can do to play our part in the ecosystem of anti-slavery work uh, you know if you, you go back to William Wilberforce's day since then there's still be ind- individuals and organizations working in uh, countries in regions in local areas to try and address this so to give you an example in the US um, I was out in the US in September we convened 42 of the largest anti-slavery organizations in the US working with Congress addressing six new laws that we're looking to get passed through Congress to address the specific issues that are coming up across the US in this issue I worked together with all the heads of the anti-slavery organizations in the UK to do exactly the same. And any space we're in, we want to be uh, shoulder to shoulder to try and help each other. Because it's not like any one of these organizations is is a billion dollar size across the world. The scale of this problem is huge. And the only way we, we do it is if we fight it together. If you can change somebody's life and uh, I mean we talk here preventing exploitation I think we're, we're clear on that rescuing victims restoring lives how how far can you go with somebody once you you know if we've extracted somebody out of a terrible environment how where, where does your engagement end with those people how, how yeah, you know because so- I mean you, you can't honestly can you look after them for the rest of their lives you, you you're trying to no, I, I think that you you, stop, you hit on a really interesting point. Everyone is different who's been through this. You know, if, if we rescue, I can tell you, we rescue a girl who was taken from Riga in Latvia to Southampton. Um, she thought she was coming to be an au pair. She'd applied for a job, met a guy in a hotel. Ten men brutally abused her. She was held for nearly five years against her will in a brothel, having to service between 50 and 100 men a day. Okay. That level of abuse is horrendous. That's very different than someone who's brought into maybe an agricultural setting and on day one runs away. So we have to be appropriate in what we're doing. Um, In every country that we're operating in, we have to have a a thought through professional approach about how we get that restoration piece to work. Mm. So in places like Ethiopia, which is our largest country of operation, we've got about 160 staff on the ground there. we work to try and bring children from exploitation in that space because that's a real need in that area. So to give you context, 
Um, in this last year, we've been able to bring 1,474 children from exploitation back to their mums and dads. But it doesn't end there. So we have a 16-week process that we work with them in a, a short-term transition centre, which we call lighthouses. And then we bring them back to their families or to family-based care where their families aren't complicit in this issue. We will um, monitor those children for up to two years afterwards and ensure that they're stable. And we've got currently a 92% success rate with girls and an 88% success rate with boys that they'll still be in place up to two years after. There's been an underlying vulnerability that has led to exploitation, mm. so we have to address that as well. And sometimes we're making bursaries or grants. You, you should see some of the stuff I have to sign off in terms of like buying someone a couple of chickens or a bicycle or sweets that they may be able to sell as a family to be yeah. able to raise enough money to stop exploitation being present. So I, I would say that um, we don't see rescue as an event, rescue as a process. Mm. For us, we don't need a spasm of passion. We need long obedience in the same direction. And it's only when you walk hand in hand with those individual survivors that you glean their story and then you can hold the traffickers to account through civil and criminal litigation. And obviously you said you got a lot of coverage, for example, Panorama, etc. And And I'm... Um, um, I would say from my own experience of the media is they'll burst into life on something for a period of time and then it just moves we move on to the next it moves on to the next story how how are you keeping it in the how are you keeping in in people's minds eye how are you keeping sort of that commitment going I think every organization suffers from news cycles and something will come and go um, and we need to make sure that we optimize any time a story comes into the headlines to make more people aware. Um, last year, we had Mo Farah who came out and said he was a victim of domestic servitude. Something like that as a story with a figurehead who people know and love means that that person has the opportunity to be able to share their story and somehow bring that story to life. So what we want to try and make sure is we can gather survivor stories and tell the reality of what is happening in each person's lives. So um, the challenge for us the whole time, the hardest part of what we're trying to do is raise awareness and that awareness leading to funding that could help us to continue on our efforts. Um, when we went to hire the NEC 15 years ago, we had to raise £257,000 in the first year for an organisation that didn't exist. Yeah. Now I have to raise that amount every week to fund the organisation. So it's a very different dynamic. And like with any organisation that you would know, like the larger the organisation goes, it, it, at one level you get some level of comfort in some areas, but the, the stresses and strains, the pressures, they become more intense in terms of how can you be able to do things and do things effectively. So our aim as well is, is kind of by working with governments, working with law enforcement to try and tackle this issue. But where we see people not doing that, it's our position to hold those individuals to account. Where legislation needs to change on a global basis, uh, where we see individual stories that, that lead us to have to try and say, well, the enforcement of this law isn't being done properly, we need to see it change. So we're seeing these things on a regular basis, but it really is all about trying to keep awareness going and keep getting to those people who say, this is an issue I really care about and I want to address it effectively. And if, if, and if I gave you free reign to change any law in this country, what, 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 what's the one you're pushing for or what, 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 what's the ideal? Yes, yeah, so we don't make any party political announcements. We, we want to make sure that that is clear up front. Yeah. 
Um, of late, there has been a couple of laws that have come through to address an issue of small boats that are coming across the Nationality and Borders Bill and the Illegal Migration Bill. Um, we would see that there is unintended consequences of some of that legislation that's come through. So I'll uh, give you an example. We had a, a chap who was um, uh, brought into this country to sell cannabis, uh, a child. In fact, 40% of all the victims that have been found in this country are children. Mm. Um, and the number one place that people are trafficked from in the UK is the UK. They're UK nationals. Mm. So the, the, the mindset of how people see this issue can sometimes be distorted in the media. But we had an individual who was brought in um, in this county. And um, I'm not going to say a location, but this individual was brought in to sell cannabis. When he refused, they fractured his skull. This is this year. When he said no again, they cut off one of his fingers. Under the new illegal migration bill, he is not considered a victim. He is considered a criminal because he has a legal migration status here. Right. Um, only 4% of all the people who've come across on small boats in the last five years have registered that they are trafficking victims. People are not gaming the system. They're not looking to try and use this as a, a way forward. Mm. We're seeing the reality of where it is. So if I could change something, it would be about ensuring that those people who are trafficking victims are given the care and support that they need so that we can get their stories, so that we can hold traffickers to account. Because I don't think I've come across anybody who believes that we shouldn't see those individuals mm. um, having the money taken off them that they've earned and having put them behind bars to send a massive signal to say this shall not happen on our watch. Yeah. But currently the legislation favours um, the trafficker because then they can now use that legislation to say, well, if you don't do what I say, I'll just let the police know that you're here illegally and you'll be deported you'll to be potentially we, Rwanda. You'll be gone before we get onto this topic. Yeah. Wow, Tim. Okay, so so in terms of assisting you, I hope anybody listening will have a look at the website, hopeforjustice.org. If anybody has any questions, I'm sure they can. There's a good picture, even some details on there, uh, and I've seen that very impressive wall with the with the, the padlocks on. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I got off that train that morning thinking, wow, you know, you know, I, I've sort of probably been living in a bit of a cocoon. The, this happened somewhere else. Doesn't happen around here. Mm -hmm. You know. We're spoilt. We're in the centre of Leeds, working away, aren't we? You know the the corporate hub of the north, etc. Um, thank you for coming uh, and telling us. Um, in terms of help, then people looking at the website, people obviously any any donation would always be appreciated, I'm sure. But also perhaps raising awareness within their organisations and keeping a keeping a lookout for their staff. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that most people who look at this issue go, like, come on, Tim, the scale of this, 49.6 million people, it's impossible what you're trying to do. Yeah. And uh, I think we choose to greet impossible with the words that Muhammad Ali said, that impossible is just a big word thrown around by small-minded men who find it easier to live in a world that they've been given than the power that they have to change it. That impossible is nothing. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is a dare. And I suppose I would today dare any business to stand up and and actually do something about this issue to say this isn't right on our watch. You know, we heard of William Wilberforce and we wax eloquently about the ending of the transatlantic slave trade. But the reality is that the same issue is happening today. It's affecting men, women and children all over the world. And it's affecting people in Leeds today. I am sure tonight there will be people who will cry themselves to sleep, calling out for someone to try and do something on this issue. 
And we just need more people to actually want to get behind this and join the fight because by doing that, we move one step closer towards seeing an end to this. So my, my challenge would be for everyone, please feel free to reach out. Um, go on LinkedIn, LinkedIn directly to Tim Nelson at Hope for Justice. I'm very happy to connect in with anyone, any business who would like to know more or like to get more information about how they can help. Yeah, fantastic. Tim, thank you for your time today. Good luck with all you do and thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.